about time for true crime hey hi how are you oh so good you know i know you guys we had the best date before we did this mm-hmm. um we went to see kittens yeah. we pet a lot of said kittens gave them kisses i had a lot of self-restraint did not bring newton home a baby brother which yep. was very difficult I know. um and then we got foods and now we're here now but what a good here. day i know just your little psa to adopt not shop oh please do there are so many lovely little fur babies and good boys and girls that need homes yeah i am just gonna shout this out as a show recommendation i figure you guys would all like it if you're here but um there is a show on amazon prime called jury duty and it's a social experiment, so everybody is an actor except for one guy, and he's real. <laughs> and they go through a full fake court process. They do voir dire. They figure everything out. They, like, put in a bunch of trips and all that. It's very fun. Do recommend. But as part of it, one of the witnesses in the fake trial was, like, I run, like, a social media account for, like, my dogs. Um, and also, I just wanted to give this reminder to shop, don't adopt. She's like, I mean, adopt, but also shop because those dogs need homes too. Oh my <laughs> god! Like, oh my god! <laughs> but that's what that reminded me of. But <laughs> yeah. really, adopt don't shop because we found the cutest cat for Allie, and I'm convinced she's gonna get him. And I'm obsessed with him, and he's so cute. And I just want to rub my little face in him. Thank you. I think Mia Bean would love a little brother. Yeah. So we will see. And if if it's not right, then then it's not meant to be. And I hope that the little nuggie goes to a great home. But I would also really love if that great home was right here. So um, we will see. So wish us luck. Yes. Lots of lots of good vibes. Lots of luck coming our way. We'll update you when we have an update. But yes. (laughs) In case anybody was wondering. I know you all are. For sure. I know you're like on the edge of your seat. You can't wait. Oh, I can't. I know. We're going to have a fourth co-host. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mia loves to pipe in whenever she's around. She will chat our ear off. Holy you guys cow. have no idea how much we just kind of have to like sit back and let her tell a few stories mm-hmm. before we resume recording because she's got a lot to say she's and like, she wants you to hear it, damn it. She is so talkative. She's so cute. She likes to tell all the stories. She'll do the fake little jump outs and like jump scare you oh she loves to do that newton will jump scare you but he will also literally scare you so. <laughs> yeah his claws are out when he does that um sometimes feral baby, on who you are. <laughs> feral baby boy yeah he's so fair okay at the adoption place that we were at today one of the little kittens was biting my hair the way newton used to and i was like you keep it up buddy you just bite away yeah <laughs> and i was like do you want me to move your hair because you had your hands full with kittens and i had only one hand full with kittens and i was like do you want me to move your hair you're like no let him have it <laughs> it's his it belongs to him now. it's his now but what a good day how are you guys doing how was your week tell us everything how's that weird coworker? they still smell mine is in my kitchen so i hope you guys are doing better than me and i do still smell i smell like kittens but it's <laughs> a good smell little kitty yeah. cats um but we want to know everything how's life how's work how's the wife gender neutral how are mm-hmm. the kids if they're there and Tell or the fur babies, it. your pod pets, uh, please send a, pets. this is your reminder. The biggest yes. reminder is send a picture of your pod pets. And also 
share the podcast download rate review subscribe um all com- comment down below <laughs> but also mostly pod pets <laughs> but also the pod pets um well should we get into it oh yeah let's get into it okay well then your skippers you better stop skipping hey um because hi hello and welcome back oh hi hey to your favorite true crime podcast this is my favorite true crime podcast how do i know um <laughs> also a reminder to please keep your hands arms feet and legs inside the podcast at all times because as always it will be a bumpy ride Ugh. today yeah we are talking sex Ooh, we're talking money Aye. we're talking beauty Ooh, we've got the glitz and the glam I love glitz and glam. And then we're going to sprinkle in some incest. Love that less. And we're going to tie it in a bow of murder. Um, it was so good until it wasn't. Like I had you until incest? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you're going to have to get used to that. Okay. All right. So you guys know this because you clicked it, but Abby does not know nope. that today we are talking about Candace Mossler. Whomst? Exactly. Now, before I forget... Because I, you know me, most certainly will if I don't say it right now. <laughs> Today's sources include the Crime Library, which I adore. You should definitely check them out. The Houston Chronicle, Newspapers.com, Miami News Times, Chicago Tribune. It's always in the description down below. So you guys can click them and look at them if you want. I won't name them all here, but they are available should you want them. Absolutely. So let's chat about Candace. She went by Candy. Okay. Okay. And Candace Weatherby was born February 18th, 1920. That's my birthday. I know. That sucks. Yep. <laughs> so not great. But some of the sources also like to say 1919. So I don't know. 1919, 1920. Her age throughout this entire thing is like a big question mark to so many people because she's so into her appearance and mm. like whatever the quick fix might be any kind of surgery like if it existed at the yeah. time she did it at the time one of those so it was like is she 20 is she 60 got it it looks really like taut it, but a not a good way Botox. all that correct yeah. okay all of that to say that some of those things can be a little tough also, to find the dates on I feel like just you saying that, what a wild childhood she must have had. It was like roaring 20s until she was 10. And then it was like, tough shit, kid. Here's the 30s. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. We're going to talk a little bit about that, actually. And then, oh, you th- go into war now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, yes. So, I'm going to give you my absolute very best shot about the years that we're talking about. Okay. It's it's an approximation, but I always like to have exacts because I like to think in exacts. Yep. You so <laughs> think we're going circa 1920. Okay? okay. Now, she was a farm girl, Ooh. which sounds very, very far from the candy that we will meet. But as a child, Ooh, she candy. grew up on the farm okay. yeah. in Georgia, and she ended up getting married pretty young to a man that was like a good amount older than her. Okay. They had two kids and then they divorced, which okay. back then you especially did not do that, but she was trying to make it work. She was actually, she was very pretty. She had very light blonde hair and at this point mm-hmm. it wasn't dyed yet. She actually was a natural blonde, but she went into like bleaching the ever-loving shit out of it to where it was like almost white at a certain point. Okay. But at this point she's got a pretty face and she has a great straight smile. Okay. Which like pre-braces. And Very not difficult. needing headgear at the time was actually kind of a flex. So pretty cool. 
Now, post-divorce, she tried her hand at modeling because she was so pretty and everybody told her that. So she moved her two children with her to New York. Okay. She was kind of successful. She didn't make it huge, but she did keep herself afloat. Okay. Long enough to realize that New York was not the place for a single mom of two in her 20s. Fair. To raise her children with like no help from family around. And it was just like the schedule was crazy. She had to be like on set here, there and everywhere. Hair and makeup, this, that, the other thing. And then her kids never really saw her. And for all of the the busyness with the schedule and the the craziness with not having any support for her kids or anything like that, yeah, what she was bringing in did not outweigh right everything that she had to pay for. So she was like, "Okay, well that was fun, so I'm not going to do that anymore." Yeah. So then she relocated to New Orleans. Okay, and Nola. then she actually started her own modeling business. Okay. Um, and it, it was at this point where she met and mingled with very wealthy people in the area. Ooh. And she started volunteering at the New Orleans Grand Opera Company. And again, she's this pretty young thing. And so this gave her access to a lot of a lot of people, a lot of very wealthy men. Mm. And it was sort of her job to try to encourage donations for their cause. And so you put your best product up front, right? So she yeah. was like the front line to like oh, this guy has this much money? Like, this is how big his pockets are? All right, I'm going to start with him. Yeah. And so it was sort of her role here to try to, like, entice some donations and everything using that that good old Southern Belle charm. But again, she was also very pretty, so it worked. So of all the rich men that she spoke with, and she spoke with a lot of them, she did hit it off with one in particular. Okay. This man was Jacques Mosler. Now, that last name should sound familiar. Yeah. So stow that away. <laughs> um, I've seen it pronounced like Jacks, Jackies, everything like that. It's Jacques, right? J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. It's Jacques. But it's Jacques, right? For our intents and purposes, it's Jacques. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, Jacques was much older than Candy. Okay. He was also an uber wealthy businessman and also a divorcee. Oh, so they got a lot in common. So he was born in 1895 to Romanian parents who had emigrated to the United States. As a kid, his family moved around quite a bit between New York and Chicago. He was They were kind of bouncing around here, mm-hmm. there, and everywhere. They did have money. Okay. Um, when he was young, though, his dad passed away, mm-hmm. which ended up meaning that a lot of the financial burden ended up being on Jacques as a young kid. Yeah. That's so hard. where they had been doing well, dad passes away. Now they're not doing well. So he ended up focusing a lot of his efforts on securing good work so that he could help support his mom. Okay. And he found that if his classmates were low on money, he would loan them a few bucks and then he would charge them interest. Mm. And so now his friends ended up being indebted to him, but the money kept rolling in. So he's a great banker. He's a great loan shark. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... He learned at a very young age that you give someone five bucks when they need it. Well, next week it's 10 bucks they need to pay back. And the week after that, it's 20. And it goes and goes and goes and goes. And as you mentioned before, we're going to head into the 1920s, 30s, 40s. Do you think that worked out well for anybody? The answer is no. no. So he took this knowledge that he learned when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. He put that in his back pocket. So we'll do the same. We're going to keep that in mind. Cool. Now, his career trajectory i guess took him from 
car mechanic to car salesman to a dealer to ultimately like car financing, which was very lucrative. Mm-hmm. And by the early 20th centuries, there were these things. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. Um, automobiles. I don't think I have. No. Mm. So, you know, the quote from Henry Ford that said you can have any car in any color you like as long as the color is black and it's a Ford. Yeah. Kind of one of those things. <laughs> so just think around this time. Right. The Ford Model A and then the Model T, they were kind of dominating the market and every family felt they had to have one even if they couldn't afford one. Oh, of course. But this is where he came in where he's like, hey, you think you can't afford it? Well, let's do this. And it, I got you. There you, gotta you go. Get me. Yeah. Around the 1920s, right? So this is when Candy's like a wee little baby, mm-hmm. but he's in his mid-20s. Um, we start seeing the automotive industry boom. And this was seen as a potential financial jackpot to him. Yeah. And it, he took advantage of it and he made a profit. And he did this by basically being a completely legal loan shark. Remember all his practice as a kid? Yep. Okay. So then he used this new thing called consumer credit. Nice. Okay. And he offered installment loans with like interest rates like you would not believe. I'm talking like 20%. <laughs> which was slightly lower than what was the average at the time during the Great Depression anyway. So even though they owed it to him and not a bank. Yeah. They viewed it as better. Yeah. But if everything's shit, does it matter if it's less shit or a little bit more shit? If it's, it's all just shit anyway, shit. you know, yeah. it's still shit. So then by the mid 30s, he had begun some financing companies and then those took off and that got his foot in the door of like banking and insurance businesses. OK. And then the firms that he had started kind of spread out over a variety of places. Mm-hmm. So then he had like his hand in all of these different pots all over the country. So he was doing well for himself. Oh, he was definitely doing well for himself. And like he was in Chicago, New Orleans, Houston. He was in like Southern Florida. Mm. And then fast forward to the mid 1940s. World War Two ended and all the soldiers came home. And we saw what we today call the baby boom. Right. They came Mm -hmm. home. They got married. If they weren't already, they popped out kids like never before. And what do families need? Houses, vehicles, appliances, things that cost money. And then there was Jock. With credit. Yep. You want these things? You can have these things. Come to me. And some regarded him as like a cutthroat businessman. Others will say that he was like all the others in that time. He just actually made good, savvy financial decisions that not a lot of people thought to make at the time. So he was a risk taker and it worked out for him. Okay. Was he cutthroat? Probably. Was it worse than anybody else at that time? No. Okay. But still... He didn't have that many friends. It's hard to have a lot of friends when your business relies on taking people for more than they already have, Mm -hmm. which is why they're coming to you. And so a lot of people had debt owed to him. A lot of people were like, you ruined my life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Just misery. Just everywhere. Yeah. So by the time he met Candy, he was in his 50s. Okay. Um, He was still a decently attractive guy. Yeah. Um, she was in her 20s. Again, there's like 30 years between them, 25 years between them. So, right. you know, she's still beautiful. And uh, they dated only six months before they got married. Okay. Now, Jacques had four children from his first marriage. Candy okay. had two. So together, the family of eight moved in. 
Yeah. And do you think that they moved into a house like yours? Oh, certainly not. Absolutely not. They moved into a 28-bedroom mansion in Um, Houston, Texas. One more time. 28 bedrooms. Like, this, Uh, this wasn't... Like, don't think of a home. Think of, like, a complex. Think of, like, a hotel. Think of... Oh, I am. Massive. Um, 28 bedrooms is so many, and that's not even the bathrooms. Do you know how long it takes to count to 28? Think of that. Mm-hmm. Count to 28 in your head. That's a lot. Waiting. Okay, yeah. That's a lot, right? I just finished. Now, yeah. that's how many be- <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just, like, that's ridiculous. So... Sure, there's eight of them, but there's 28. F- anyway, so yeah. well, this, this was their whole, this was their living quarters, I guess you will say. They had live-in maids. They had live-in chefs. I think they even had a live-in chauffeur. I mean, why not when you've got 28 rooms? And this is like the early 1950s at this point, and this is the wealthiest of the wealthy. Yeah. The thing about Jacques is, though, is he adored candy. He showered her with gifts, typically like love bombing. Yeah. Um, especially in the beginning, he would gift her with jewels that were like worth more than my car. Holy shit. Um, expensive clothing and furs. And if there was a car that she wanted, she would just have it. Wow. He would give her an allowance of money, usually around like 5,500 bucks a month to take care of the house and then things that needed to be done around the house. But whatever was left over was really just funny money for her. Yeah. Now, 5500 bucks doesn't sound like all that much a month, especially considering the prices of things today in 2023, but in 1950, this was equivalent to over $65,000 a month. $65,000 a month. Wow. So that covered the housing stuff, and then whatever was left over was like, whatever you want, girlfriend. I did look up where they lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't live there now, but Correct. where they lived, um, it is off the market. But as of last year, it was assessed at like thirteen million dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Oh Zillow, oh my god. Okay, anyway, well, for anniversaries Yikes. or birthdays or anything like that, he would just give her an extra five thousand dollars. So imagine for your birthday getting a check for like seventy grand, and it was like just don't spend it all in one place. Like yeah, that actually be kind of hard to do with seventy grand. Um, Correct. I could buy a store for less than <laughs> seventy grand. So this was the kind of this was just a peek into their lifestyle, just so you Damn. kind of have an idea of what this was. So little mom over there, she got that security. Oh, she does. Okay, and she loved this new lifestyle. I mean, it was like made for her in her eyes. She loved the glitz and the glamour that came with it all, and the access to. I don't know, like celebrities, not like huge A-list ones, although funny enough, she actually was friends with Judy Garland. Hey. But very active in the arts. Yeah. Like performing arts and things like that. So like the opera and like stage productions and stuff. So kind of a niche focus. But she was hosting all of these extravagant parties in their home for all of these like very well-known and famous at the time people right she was known as this excellent hostess she could throw a party apparently and she was very social and she was friendly and she was pretty 
and she was the clutcher pearls kind of gal and with the pretty blonde and she could just as easily have like tea with you and chat as much as be absolutely sloshed at the bar queen yeah so she became enmeshed with local celebrities all the wealthiest people the people that you didn't know looking at them were rich but like they pretty much owned the town like that kind you know the people that don't always show it but they've got so much um like what's his name there's that uh hillsong pastor who hangs out with justin bieber and it's like ah yes justin bieber and this pastor (laughs) but the pastor's got like millions of dollars yeah Yeah, so (laughs) but it was like you know the people that make all the decisions in your town for example right let's just look at us today i don't know what they look like no but i know what brad pitt looks like and i'd know him in any room ever in any costume and any anything oh yeah so thinking don't think celebrities only as the celebrities as we call them but the people that were like local the stakeholders the people that could make decisions that would actually impact you right so this is her little crowd and she was just with with the like quote-unquote important people and she was active in local charities and like they donated to local arts and entertainment groups and things so there was a philanthropic part of this too where she was really serious about that and her husband was too um i mean listen if you have seventy thousand dollars a month a month um at some point, the kind of things you can buy end up being limited because you have more than what the market has to offer. And then I'm sure it's like a very big priority when you're like, ah, I have so much. I literally can't have more. Let's give back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the family was also very busy. Mm-hmm. The business headquarters, right? The, these businesses that Jacques had, they were based out of Houston. So they that's where they had their mansion, right? They were right in town. Their mansion is a kind of even yeah. not a great word for it, like actual they had complex. Their, their, their own town. Yeah, their own yeah. town. Um, But they also had purchased a condo in, it's called Key Biscayne in Florida. Okay. But we'll just call it like their condo in Florida. So they had all these businesses everywhere they would travel a lot between them especially him he was checking up on things making sure that things were good they had their main living spot where like most of the business they did was but kind of in second place was florida and that's where they got that condo okay but because their schedules were so hectic they would kind of be moving between these two locations frequently okay even with all of this though the six children between them candy wanted more children okay she was she was still young enough where she could but he was like i am tapped out yeah you know he's in his later 50s by this point he's really not like 50s 60s i guess really not up for that he's not game but she's kind of still in her prime and and wants that um he had actually had a vasectomy after his last child was born with his first wife so she was kind of upset about that like well you've given us no chance for this and he wasn't exactly faithful to Candy. Um, it's said that, you know, he kind of trusted his vasectomy. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, because if he had a fling or so, then it he didn't really run the risk of knocking up a mistress. Right. And that was good, even though the vasectomy was a point of contention for them because she's like, okay, but I still want kids. And he's like, and in his head, he's like, yeah, but I want to fuck the maid. So. <laughs> and he's like, we have six. Correct. <laughs> um. 
I don't actually think he was fucking the maid, but he was sleeping around. He did have girlfriends. So I will just say that, like, he was not perfect. Yeah. So remember that, but neither was she. And remember that too. Seemingly. It's almost like, in the words of our great philosopher, Hannah Montana, nobody's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny you say that. Uh huh. Because I shit you not, (laughs) she says that. She says that. We'll get there. I'm going to tell you about it. Hannah Montana says, nobody's perfect. Marry a rich dude. Uh huh. And have a bunch of kids and money. Are those the lyrics? I yeah. love that. It's the adult version. They don't put it on Disney. <laughs> well, I know what you're thinking, right? He's okay. like, you're like, okay, vasectomy. You just don't want to knock up your girlfriend. You piece of shit. Yeah. You ass hat, right? And that's all very valid. Sure. But this next part actually lends itself to his more human side. Okay. In 1957, he went on a trip to Chicago. Yeah. And he heard of, like, the most horrifying crime he'd ever heard in his life. A father had, I think what was then, they called it a psychotic break. I don't know what the diagnosis would be today, now that we have more information, but whatever it was, he snapped. Yeah. And the dad was a father of five. Oh. And he shot and killed his wife. Oh, my God. And he shot and killed their youngest child. Damn. His oldest child was in the same bed as her mother when she was murdered in her sleep. Oh, my God. And even watched the youngest sibling die. That's so awful. After that, the dad made breakfast for the kids as if nothing was the remaining kids, as if nothing had happened, and got them in the car and drove around the city for hours until his car got stuck in a snowbank. That, okay, um, I would like to not spread the all Chicago sucks thing, but driving around for hours until your car gets stuck in a snowbank is so iconic, Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, these four remaining children were left parentless. Their mom was now dead and their dad was responsible. So now he's in either, it was either prison or some kind of psychiatric facility, but for right. life, this man was not going to was return to be daddy yeah. of the year here. And when Jacques heard of this case, he ended up using his connections in Illinois and he adopted those four surviving children Oh, okay. because he wanted them to have a chance at a better life because of the severe heartbreaking circumstances yeah. that they had basically had to grow up in. And these children, they only ranged from two to six when they oh, got adopted. My gosh. And the six-year-old was the one that watched mom die. That's so it, it was just all around horrific and his heart broke with that and because he had money and he had connections he was like no i will adopt them yeah. no other family was really stepping up for it and i didn't want to read too much into them because i want to give them their privacy they've certainly been through enough so Always. i didn't try digging on too much of that and i don't know what would have been available if i even tried right but just know that they were adopted at a very young age coming from just a really 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 tough start yeah now, these kids were not the only ones to be accepted into the Mosler's home. Okay. Candy's nephew, Melvin Lane Powers, um, he was a very handsome young man. I mean, he had, like, movie star good looks of the 1950s, like, mm-hmm. think James Dean-esque. Yeah. Um, and he looked damn good in those old-fashioned suits, I'm just saying. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about. He had jet black hair. It was gelled back. 
He had a jawline that could cut a bitch. Suave. He had the figure of a linebacker with oh. shoulders like as broad as they come. Like I don't think he could get through a doorway. This guy was like I huge. could lay on them and fall asleep because mm-hmm. they're so big. Snug as a bug on a rug. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now at twenty years old, you would not even doubt for a second he was in his mid thirties. Okay. Like if you look at a photo of him at twenty, and I will make sure that one's on our Instagram page, you're like, no fucking way. Got it. But way. Okay. So he went by Mel. Kind of better than Melvin, in my opinion. But no hate, no shame. It's totally fine. But Mel sounds a lot better. I like it. I like Mel. Now, Mel was a salesman through and through. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, He sold magazine subscriptions through high school. And he actually was pretty successful with it. I mean, I don't know if he was like, hey, buy this, bitch. Because he's so so big, he could intimidate somebody. But I think he really just had charm and like a used car salesman kind of guy. Kind of charismatic, kind of cocky, confident, and got the job done. Yeah. So he enjoyed the business side of that. Okay. Um, when he moved away from his hometown and up to Michigan, he, this is where he met the wrong crowd. Okay. Mel was soon arrested for his part in a swindling scheme. And after serving a very brief stint in jail, he was out on probation with his tail between his legs. Like, oh shit, what did I do? Yeah. So in 1961, his mom, which was Candy's older sister, highly encouraged Mel to get the frick frack out of Michigan because Mm -hmm. apparently only trouble awaited for him there. He did not make the best of friends and the police were kind of on to him. So she's like, what the hell did you go up there for? Like pretty much like you're living with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. (laughs) But was like, why don't you go see if Aunt Candy will let you stay there? She'll take you in. Which, yeah. and it's like, well, yeah, Aunt Candy has 28 bedrooms. Like, I'm sure she can, right? Right. So, she did, though. She let him come in. Good old Aunt Candy had him come Aww. in and was like, you can get back on your feet. You need to be, you need to take this seriously. You need to take your life seriously. And um, she welcomed her 20-year-old nephew with open arms. Aww. And then she convinced Jacques to set Mel up with a sales job at one of the finance firms so that like he could mm-hmm. have a good, honest job, but still kind of utilize the sales background. Right. Which, I mean, I guess, yeah, he sold magazine Get subscriptions. skills, yeah. But the swindling scheme was also a big part of him promising things he obviously couldn't promise, but he was good at promising things. Yeah. And so that's be, what a lot of people like in a salesman. So it'd be really cool if you could actually deliver those things, which he yeah. could at this new job. Okay. So by later that year, Jacques had ended up getting sick. He, he he wasn't on his deathbed by any means, but he got this infection in his lungs that he just couldn't quite kick. And so he spent the rest of that year traveling, looking for treatments. Okay. Because he, you know, he could afford to travel internationally. So he did. He would go like meet with this doctor here and this one there and they'd recommend this remedy and this natural thing and whatever. Mm-hmm. And when he wasn't traveling abroad, he was staying mostly at their Florida condo because the air quality was better for his lungs. He could just like kind of be in the water and okay. which I, I I mean, sure. And yeah, who doesn't want to? And people. who doesn't want to? Right. But he did spend a lot of time away at this point. Not got it. Not because he wanted to be away from his family, but he was ill and was trying to get better. Now was Jacques gone. Candy and her nephew Mel were spending quite a bit of time together. And now wait, just really quick, remind me, is Mel her like sister or brother's son or is Mel like Jacques? Nope, it's uh, Candy's older sister's son. So these are direct relatives here. Okay, just checking. This is auntie and nephew here. All right. Okay. 
yeah, no, this isn't a by marriage thing where it's like still frowned upon, but legally fine. No, this is like full on. You share a lot of DNA here, people. All right. Okay. 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 So now the pair with 20 years between them. Um, and again, that's kind of a theme here because there's like lots of age differences everywhere we go. We've got Jacques, we've got Candy, big age difference there. Then mm-hmm. Candy to Mel's quite the age difference. Um, but Mel and Candy started vacationing together. And that line between family and lovers became blurred. That's like a really thick, hard line, though. And that's Thick and really... hard it was. Damn it. <laughs> sorry you just you're like, right. served that Listen, to me you're very right and i gave it to you on a silver platter but that was underhanded um, come on yeah they were boning yep and he's 20 and now i have to say because i <laughs> i don't know mm-hmm. obviously i put a lot of stake and blame on her yes and while it does take two to tango and by no means was this not consensual on his part it does make me wonder, even though he was an adult, he was still young. And it makes me wonder mm-hmm. what, if any, grooming happened when he was a kid, even though it doesn't seem like they were super close. And really, the mom, his mom had was just like, you need to get out of where you're going. Go to this entirely different place you've never been and start over. So it doesn't make me believe that he grew up like visiting Aunt Candy a lot, if you know what I mean, right. where they would have had perhaps an opportunity to groom. Yeah. So I don't know that for sure. I haven't seen that mentioned anywhere else, but I have a really hard time just being like, oh yeah, this child. I mean, I know he's not a child, but he He is in comparison to her, but it was definitely her sister's child, different power dynamics there. And he was allowed in the home and all of these things, not to say that he didn't enjoy himself. I will say that, (laughs) but it does make me wonder what his childhood might've been like if she played an active role in it. Well, I'm also curious, too. I mean, uh, all of this makes uh, every part of me ick. Of course. Yeah, it's going to yucky, yucky, ick, ick. It's like an icky, icky, yucky, yuck indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I am not condoning any of this. I'm also hopeful, though, if they were that far apart that maybe like in the slimmest of chances, um, they really never got to know each other in a familial way. Because they certainly got to know each other in other ways. That they did. Seemingly. Um, so what the fuck happened? Well, that's kind of it. They, we don't know. Okay. They just started spending more time. Remember, Jacques is away. Right. He's sick and he's in Florida and, and doing a- whatever he's doing. Apparently having, let's see, with their, he had four kids. She had two. That's six. Plus the four they adopted. That makes 10 children mm-hmm. under her care. Apparently, she was still bored. And had a shit ton of free time. After last week's case, I'm starting to realize that the only way to really get hobbies is to become incredibly rich, isn't it? Because <laughs> these people have so much fucking time. I don't do, do that. It is not all it's made out to be, I don't imagine, because... It, <laughs> the taxes? Ugh. No, but just... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, ugh. And all this shit, it's... Ugh. I literally named this part yucky, yucky, ick, ick. Aww. Like, that's what it is. Because it's like, you can't make sense of that. You just, that, the, the things, it doesn't compute. The math ain't math and it shouldn't be the way it is. I think it's very cute that you say yucky, yucky, ick, ick, and I say icky, icky, yuck, yuck. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was cute. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all of the above. Yes. Okay. 
Secret option C, icky, icky, yucky, 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 ick, ick. Correct. <laughs> well, and again, they're vacationing together. This isn't just at home, even though it was also at home because... See, and I don't know why that that makes me ick more, where I'm like, if it was a vacation, you were gone and no one else was around. It's still gross. It's still wrong. But it's like, at least you're not putting that in front of people. But well, at home, too? give them some credit. They did... Um, wait till everyone was asleep. And the she, first time, probably she would sneak into his room. Oh my God, and they would profess their love for each other and Ew. show it. If you Ew. know what I mean? They would write love letters to each other. Ew. Uh, they were basically inseparable. And if they vacationed far from home, where nobody really knew who they were, Mel would introduce Candy as his wife. I know, I know, I know. And amongst friends, Mel would brag that Candy fell for his sexual advances because he was just oh so talented in bed. And um, how you say he fondled the front bottom? Uh huh. Jam down the giant. Um, just fucking filthy and feral. I'll be honest. But over time, the staff. I mean. You know, you learn. Yeah, the, the staff who worked in the Mosler home, they put all the pieces together. And if you've Ain't ever watched If you've ever watched Downton Abbey, you know that they always know, okay? They know. And this was no different. They knew all the hot gossip and the servants were talking about it. Like it was common knowledge amongst the people that lived there that yeah, yeah there was something not right going on here. And it was so much so that when Jacques returned, one of the servants pulled him aside. Oh, my God. And was like, you need to know what's going on here. Oh, my gosh. It's mortifying. Which is mortifying for all involved. And then I'm sure this, like, worker is probably like, am I going to get fired because I'm you're, saying this? Because I'm saying the words out loud. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Jacques was mortified. Yep. He was also enraged. And most of all, he was just disgusted because he, like you and I, were like, that's your fucking nephew. And she was like, yeah, I'm fucking my nephew. Oh, you said, okay. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Mm, yeah. So he wanted to divorce her immediately. Okay. Um, But he knew that she would take half of his money in the divorce. And he worked for it. She didn't. So he's like, no, I'm not letting that happen. And if she divorced him, then she would miss out on nearly all of it because it was like they had it written that if he divorced her, she'd get half. And if she divorced him, she'd get pretty much nothing. Right. So neither of them had anything to gain financially to be divorced. So it was better to just be rich and together. Well, yeah, r- but rich, but still married. Right, exactly. Um, he ended up going to an attorney and discussed his options. But ultimately, he was encouraged to not make it a public dealing because rumors of an incestuous affair would be like socially damning and not good for business. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's all fair. So Jacques ended up having Mel fired from his finance firm. Um, He also had law enforcement come to the home to escort him out and essentially told him that he could no longer live there, obviously, because, you know, you're fucking my wife. You were sleeping with this man's wife in his home that he let you in and spending money on his wife in inappropriate ways that you only earned by working at his business. Oh, and also it's your aunt. Well, that too. (laughs) That too. 
yeah, we, we like sandwiched that in there somewhere for sure. Um, <laughs> but surprisingly, this did not go over well with Mel, as you no. might think. You, if you thought he'd be like, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry about that. Not but, the 20-year-old who came in to live in your mansion and then was Mr. Steal Yo Wife. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was no. like, yeah, but can I get a fist bump? Like, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Mel was bullshit. This entitled little shit. He threatened Jock and said that he would be back and the mansion would be his. Like, he went out in flames. What, a, what an entitled little guy. Mm-hmm. Now, rumors of Candy and Mel's relationship had made their way around Houston. Obviously. As and would. Jacques, he was at his wit's end. He just couldn't stand to be around it. Even though Mel was gone, he was never far. Okay. Um, he ended up living, like, in the same town still. So, it wasn't like you're exiled and it was like, as far as the eye could see, he was not there. He was just, like, up the road instead. Oh, okay. And if you thought their affair ended, you'd be wrong. Well, yeah, because landlord kicked him out. She didn't. (laughs) Correct. And Jacques ended up just saying, fuck it. And he moved to their Florida condo pretty much full time. He was like, "I, I cannot. And the shame of everyone in his company knowing what was going on under his roof and not so much that his wife was having an affair, not so much that it was with a much younger man, not so much that it was with a much younger man living in his home, not so much with a much younger man living in his home that he also employed, but that it was her biological nephew. Yeah, that will do it. That will do so it. So he was he got a case of the fuckets and he was like I'm going to Florida and that's where he stayed. Now, Mel ended up getting a different sales job. Okay. And staying local. So he didn't just find something temporarily and still being close. He ended up He's finding something yeah. permanently. He got settled in Houston and he just wanted to make sure he could still see his favorite aunt. Ew. And when he ran into financial troubles, which if you thought he made good decisions, you were wrong, um, she helped him finance his new home, which is part, probably uh. part of her you know, monthly allowance or something. Now, in May of 1964, Candy went on a trip to Florida with her teenage daughter. So one of her, you know, two kids that she entered the marriage with and three of the four of the adopted kids. Okay. So she went with four kids total. I think the fourth child that they had adopted was at either like a summer camp or something Mm. like that. So not out of the it wasn't like they just left one of them home right to be right. mean but other commitments so she took those that were left underage you know right home because Jacques had four kids but they were by this time adults yeah so they were certainly not there so they're still married obviously the relationship was strained i'm putting that to very lightly least. and over the course of their stay in florida because they all stayed in the same in his condo in their condo Mm -hmm. Uh, Candy started getting like mysterious migraines Uh and she ended up driving herself to the hospital three times in the span of a week. So wait, Candy's getting mysterious migraines. Is she in Florida with Jacques right now? Okay. So in, in May of 1964, she packs bags. It's her, her teenage daughter and three of the adopted kids. Okay. So they're all there and they're all there. They all go to the condo. Nice. And they're kind of playing house, but it's very clear that the marriage is, you know, that they're playing house, not doing well. And then they're there for like several weeks. By the end of June, she's in the hospital a bunch. So it's June 24th, June 26th, June 29th. Okay. So we're going to focus on June 29th. Okay. 
1964. Sure. Weirdly, when she drove herself to the hospital that night, it was like after midnight. Okay. And she brought all the children with her. Okay. And on her way, she ran an errand to drop off the mail. Which, if you're bringing yourself to the hospital, and I think, well, because it's June 29th, it's probably like the very early hours of June 29th, right? So like the night of the 28th into the 29th. She's like, gonna run an errand real quick. And if I'm bringing myself to the hospital, I don't think I'm stopping to run errands. And especially if this is my third time in the same week, I don't think that's my priority, but whatever. So she stops, she drops off mail. And she brought the kids with her. Okay. So this left Jacques at home alone. I think they had a dog with them, but it was just no other people were in the house. Okay. And I don't know what they did for migraine treatment in the 1960s, but whatever it was, she received that treatment. See, what's also interesting to me here as someone who gets migraines is that, like, don't get me wrong. I know plenty of people who have gone to the hospital and made plenty of stops on the way. But with a migraine, it seems insane that she'd even drive herself, let alone drive herself with all of her kids and make an extra stop. As someone that gets chronic migraines, I can't drive. No, I can't get out of my room. Or run errands or do any of the things. And I'm not trying to say that she didn't have that pain. I I won't say that. No, it's just wild to me that she'd add extra on top of that. That's all. Anyway. But it does end up getting very fishy and also... What was the migraine treatment in the 1960s? And why wasn't it a lobotomy on her? Because this is like so far. Maybe it could have corrected something. I don't know. <laughs> but all of that to say, while she's getting the treatment, some calls came into the nurse's station to speak with Candy. But of course, she was Oh, interesting. Busy. Okay. Um, these three calls all came from a man. It was all the same man. And the man was not her husband. Okay. But we don't know who this man was. All right. At 1.30 that morning, neighbors were woken up because the Mosler's dog was barking and it was like very ferocious barking, not regular barking. Right. Like, and ruff, ruff. here's the mailman. It yeah. wasn't even common for the dog to bark at all, let alone this okay. bad. So uh, they heard muffled groans and they heard a man's voice that did not sound familiar to them. And it was so loud and out of the ordinary that some of the neighbors tried to knock on the door to see if he was okay okay but after no one answered they figured he was asleep and they didn't pursue it further so they just went home at 4 30 candy and the four kids return home because her treatment's done and apparently the best time to go is from midnight to 4 a.m well but anyway they get home with the kids too okay anyway yep brought all the kids which is odd probably sleeping let the kids sleep man yeah like did you wake them up anyway so they walk in the door. Okay. And they found the body of Jacques Mosler on the floor in the living room. <gasps> I'm clutching my pearls. <laughs> Candy's daughter, so the teenager, mm-hmm. called police. Uh, the first officer was on the scene by like 4.50, so it took about like 20 minutes from the time they got home till people are there. Right. Okay. Candy was pretty emotionless. She was not in hysterics. She was not clutching her pearls. She was not doing anything. She just gestured to where the husband was on the. She just like, yeah, he's over there, and she didn't give a shit. Now, granted, I know where we're talking about this, but just you know, maybe she was on sedatives from the hospital. I'm grasping at straws, but maybe. Oh, I mean, 
no matter what, however anybody reacts to anything is always going to be picked apart. Oh, absolutely. But through all of this, she didn't give a shit. Yeah. He had been stabbed 39 times. 39 times? Which is 11 more stabs than he had bedrooms in his mansion. That's a lot. That's ridiculous. And investigators tried to learn like as much as they could about him, what he did for work, who he was friends with, who he was partners in business with. They looked for disgruntled former employees. They looked for customers or anybody else who would have hated him or had something to gain by him being dead or any kind of revenge based on what he did for work. Again, he didn't he had a lot of enemies. Okay. Pretty much anyone who would want to see him harmed, they were looking into. They also recorded that $500 was missing from his wa- from his uh, wallet, so figured that robbery had been a component. Not okay. sure if it was, like, the whole goal. Right, but at least... But that money was missing. Ultimately, though, investigators arrived at the conclusion that Candy and Mel were behind it. Yeah, that, that I am not surprised by that. Because... First of all, 39 stab wounds is textbook overkill. And though we didn't know a whole lot in the 1960s, we did know that, wow, you really, really didn't like this guy if you you did that. You wanted him dead 39 times. Versus, oh, you just, like, it needed to be quick and you needed to rob him and then leave. It was like, oh, you, like, really, really, really were mad. Okay. Okay. So, this was passionate. It was emotional. It was raw. Then they read in his diary, Jacques' diary, (laughs) that he knew of and that he wrote how disgusted he was of the affair between Candy and Mel. So there was no, there was no like mincing words about what he did know or didn't know. He absolutely knew. Also, if I can, I I giggle because the word diary makes me giggle. Journal. Yeah. All, all people are allowed to have journals and process things. I think that's very healthy, but I do love the idea of him having a diary. Oh. (laughs) Like I a little key. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. Or like in the early 2000s, those one that you'd have to like say your password into, but it never knew what you were saying or what your voice was. So anybody could get in anyway. <laughs> and you're like lollipop. And it's like, ding. Or your brother's like unicorn. And it's like, ding. <laughs> I don't know what he had, but fine, I'll call it a journal. So he wrote about it in his journal. I, I like it. I think it's cute. But. Anyway. <laughs> More importantly, what he wrote in there was that if they didn't kill him first, he would have to kill them. Oh, shit. He felt threatened. Okay. That's damning to be written down. They combed the scene, right? The pair's whereabouts for the night was fishy, to say the least. Okay. Mel had taken a flight, because again, he was supposed to be in Houston. He had hopped on a plane Flew from Houston to Miami, landed before the murder. Okay. Then just hours after Jacques was dead, Mel was back on a plane back to Houston. So not even that 24 hours. That doesn't sound hours. fishy. That sounds pretty cut and dry. Pretty not good. Yeah. Mel's handprint was also found in the home. Mel. Um, which he had claimed to not have been at. So that was kind of fishy. There was also this white car that was found parked at the airport just before Mel's flight. And this vehicle had Mel's fingerprints inside as well as blood. Oh. Huh. Not great. Jacques Mossler was laid to rest July 3rd, 1964. Okay. And that very same day, Mel was arrested for the murder. All right. And Candy and... Mel's mom, which was her sister, Elizabeth, kind of rallied around Mel. They got him the best of the best for defense attorney. 
Does Mel's mom know? I mean, yeah. Okay. I don't think anybody didn't know. I don't Um, know. It's like, oh, like, who's your girlfriend? Can I meet her? You have. Can I tell you a funny story? Go ahead. Um, so in, in my life, very third hand. So like nobody that I ever like really interacted with. There was a family member of someone I worked with who started dating his cousin. And he tried to introduce the cousin back to his family as his girlfriend. And they were like, we know her. We, no. We know your cousin. Ew, like a biological cousin? Yeah. No. Yeah, it was no. so funny. No. <laughs> and and then um, they got really offended if you said incest. They were like, we don't use the I word. And I was like, that doesn't make it not the I word. Like, <laughs> Okay. You can call it PlayStation if you want. It sure looks like incest to me. I know. Like, <laughs> if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck. <laughs> but no, no, no. We don't use that word. <laughs> no, we don't use duck, though. We'll just call it a penguin. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. But anyway, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> um, yes. Well, we are most certainly using the I word here. And yeah. I do wonder. I mean, I can't imagine the mom didn't know because everybody knew. Right. And they weren't exactly hiding it. No. Okay. And the price for these attorneys that they had like swooped in to, again, find the best of the best. And they did get well, yeah, that. Because they have the money for it. It was so steep that Candy had given some of her most expensive jewelry as like a down payment. Oh shit. The same jewelry that her husband gifted her, which meant that her husband literally paid to defend his alleged killer. That's so shitty. I mean, either way, it was probably going to be his money because it sounds like well, she didn't really have much of her own. At right. This point. He was keeping everything afloat. Correct. As more people came forward, the case against Candy was building too. Okay. So by July of 1965, she too was arrested for her husband's murder. So the following year. Okay. And the press ate this shit up. I mean, the wealth, the beauty, the glam against the backdrop of incest, affair, brutal murder. Yeah. That that's a news story for you. I mean, come on. Both Mel and Candy bonded out, and as she left the jail, she smiled her cute little toothpaste model smile cuz she was she was a toothpaste model. Oh. Um, and she blew kisses to the press who were waiting for her. So I don't know who gets out of jail for um, murdering their husband with their nephew lover. Correct. Yeah. And <laughs> is like blowing like Marilyn Monroe kisses at the cameras. But OK. Candy is. The trial began January 17th, 1966. OK. And. Oddly enough, the two were actually tried together. So they had a joint trial. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. And what a fucking show. (laughs) If you thought the OJ trial had attention, it was nothing compared to the commotion of this trial at the time. Yeah. And as attention-seeking as ever, Candy was fucking dramatic. Okay. Oh, my. Uh, The Miami New Times had said this of Candy, and I think it was hilarious. They said, hardly a day passed without an interruption. Because of one of Candy's medical episodes that included bouts of nausea, fainting spells, migraine headaches, and the occasional upset stomach. Once she showed up for the day's proceedings wearing a neck brace. (laughs) She had no need for a fucking neck brace. She even tried to lay down across two chairs to like lay down while this is going on. And the judge is like, ma'am, you can't do that. Sit up. 
<laughs> like that's, that's how nuts. bad but that's how much she didn't give a shit and how much it was all a performance that's so wild but she'd be like oh i don't feel good and oh i'm nauseous and i'm dizzy and i'm this and i'm that and then she wears a neck brace like what is she the gonna neck start, brace is funny she's gonna to walk in fine and leave limping like this woman is just <laughs> completely she out of it so the eyes that being said though so many of the reporters and there were tons of reporters here mm-hmm. they were infatuated by her she would give one-on-one interviews like each day she'd like pick a different reporter and give them like a different story or a yeah. different version of something or this is how i feel about the day and everything and they ate it up because it sold of course it did but she was beautiful and like very erotic for what was going on and so scandalous that it was kind of hot yeah i could see that like it was so wrong that it was like i want to be wrong that a sucks. little you yeah. know and she, but I again get it. she ate it up and then mel well he was just this like handsome movie star looking 25 year old and who doesn't love that right and the two of them side by side i mean please he towered over her he's a big dude i mean it's incest but they look good on the paper seriously it's like so icky yeah it's icky but you'd pay to watch you know what i'm saying like that's the kind of thing like in people were either absolutely horrified or like secretly really digging it like what is going on here i need to know everything and the lead prosecutor on the case his name was richard gerstein okay he too was a giant of a man he was like six foot five he was a world war ii vet he had lost his right eye when his plane was shot during an air mission over germany holy cow and that's a guy with a life a guy with a life a guy with a presence yeah and he leaned into shit so he cut right to the point he said that this was out of hatred for jacques and that candy and mel stood to acquire millions with him out of the way and they wouldn't need to keep their relationship a secret anymore they had tried really hard to keep it under wraps i mean everybody knew but they couldn't just go out in their hometown and like holding hands acting like everything was fine right candy had nothing to gain in a divorce neither did her husband so neither of them were really going to do anything and she was trapped so they're like this is why prosecution also drew attention to the fact that mel was pissed the day that he got kicked out of the home and that he vowed he'd be back and it would be his like that's pretty ominous and threatening And then the evidence we mentioned before was also discussed in court. The palm print, the flights, the blood in the rental, all of that. Yeah. The defense team, though, on the other hand, they leaned in hard. Okay. Um, The pair had six of the best defense attorneys money could buy. Okay. Including Percy Foreman, who was also six foot four, 200 plus pounds, and was regarded as the biggest brashest brightest criminal lawyer in the u.s holy shit and basically people said if you hired him you were most definitely guilty and you were most definitely walking yeah like you were going to get off on it yeah so that i mean imagine being that guy he's got money i'm sure quite the presence shit and his goal his tactic that he typically took was to rip apart everyone other than the defendant well of course so every single witness but i mean hard harsh like too far yeah the witnesses their families the police the prosecutors like personal (laughs) the neighbors society Uh. as a whole if he had to and usually the victim so he leaned into jacques the man who was stabbed 39 times in his home 
who didn't wasn't even able to defend himself he was like well he's this horrible horrible so it was like trying so skeevy not only trying to dissuade people from believing that his client or clients i guess were responsible which is of course your job but also kind of making it so the jury cared less that he was dead yeah you know like was it really that bad that he was gone and not that that's what he said or how he said it but that was the intent but describing his character so poorly and that he was so awful that this is what happened and yeah so many people hated him that why wouldn't someone else have just killed him look how terrible he was that's so shitty okay so anything in any way he could throw at the wall to make it stick he would do okay when the defense team spoke of the victim they said quote hundreds of persons might have had motive to kill mosler including disgruntled employees victims of automobile repossessions by mosler's finance companies and independent automobile dealers who had blamed Mossler for financial ruin. Okay. You know, so that's one of the, you know, yeah. which is true. Right. There, there are significant motives here. Certainly not wrong, yeah. They also said that while Mel's handprint might have been found at the scene, so were 26 other identified prints. Okay. So what are you going to do about those? And a black hair that did not belong to him. So whose black hair was that? Right. They also alleged that Jacques was gay, and so naturally Candy had to find comfort in the arms of someone else, another trusted adult male, and it happened to be Mel, so don't make it weird. That's so fucked up. Okay, sorry. Anyway. And not only was there no evidence to suggest that Jacques was gay, like, let's not pretend that incest was legal. Yeah. So, uh, ugh, whatever. Now, prosecution's job was then made more difficult because they couldn't use Candy's diary. Which was a very clear view into her mind and what was important to her, which was really Mel and money. Sure. And how she was going to go about keeping both. They also couldn't use a letter that Mel had written while he was in jail that he tried getting his brother to sneak out to Candy. So he got caught, but it was not admissible. But it was like very incriminating. Okay. To compensate for this, they tried to still introduce the same information, but instead they had to call witnesses that had observed it or have been told about it. Right. To still get the point across. And these witnesses were many of Mel's friends who all had criminal records and weren't the most trustworthy, mm-hmm. as well as some of them were inmates in with Mel, who he'd bragged to about his sexcapades with Candy. Right. This ended up not looking great for, con- for the prosecution because these witnesses were out for their own gain more than anything else. Right. And it could be proven. And so it was very easy for the defense team to just be like, well, this fucker's lying, this one's lying. Yeah. You know, rip them all apart. And can you blame them? They're lying to get 50 years off their sentence. You know what I mean? Like Because a lot of the company that Mel kept wasn't great. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it was really easy to bring them all down. So Gerstein, the prosecutor, his closing argument was about an hour. Okay. But when Percy Foreman, the lead defense attorney, gave his, he started with, I'm going to make a few brief statements, and then he talked for four hours. Holy shit. And that wasn't even his longest closing argument. (laughs) Ain't that just the way? And ultimately, prosecution didn't have any hard evidence. They had a lot of really, really, really good circumstantial evidence. Yep. But that is not... And while it was like, but his palm prints there, 
And it's like, well, so are 26 other prints. And it's like, okay, but his palm print is still there. All of that got lost in translation. And another big issue here was that the jury was 12 men. Yep. 12 men that were smitten by Candy who thought she was... Bees knees. Kind of hot. Yeah. And kind of cool. The cat's pajamas. And they deliberated... model's titties. (laughs) (laughs) They deliberated for four days. But then they reached a verdict. But it wasn't without issue. Halfway through, they sent a note to the judge saying that they were split. Okay. And the judge said, nope, keep going. And then later they reached a verdict. Not guilty. Damn. For both of them. Shit. So no sooner did the not guilty verdict come out, Candy ran over and kissed all 12 jurors. Then she and Mel cheered and embraced. She wrapped her arms around his neck and they fucking like nearly made out. That's a lot. Right there. Right there. That like, is so much. They had a, a kiss from the notebook kind of kiss. Holy fuck. In the courtroom. Not guilty. Yeah, baby, that turns me on. Seriously. Shit. And again, have I mentioned that they're related? It's so icky. And also to be read not guilty and to be like, well, like, don't make it weird kind of thing. And then, like, what a big fuck you to the world to, like, spit in the face of that and, like, yup, and basically, like, dry hump in the courtroom. That's wild. Okay. And also, when it was like, ma'am, he's your nephew, though. Yeah. She was like, well, nobody's perfect. That's literally (laughs) what I'm, I kid you not. I kid you not. She's like, I didn't kill my husband, but nobody's perfect. So are you telling me that Hannah Montana actually got that from Candy Mossler? Correct. Damn. Nobody's perfect. TM. TM. Okay. Um, CM, if you will. <laughs> After the trial. Yeah. They maintained their relationship for a few years. Like they were literally still openly dating. Okay. I've been very judgy on this, but they were still openly dating. Sure. Um, and then after a few years after it had kind of like, I guess the appeal and excitement was over, they broke up. Of the four children the couple had adopted, three had been in Florida with Candy and Jock and had found Jock's deceased body. Yeah. And if we're all under the assumption that Candy and Mel were really behind his murder, which I am. Yeah. I believe they got away with it, but I believe that they are responsible. If we believe this to be true, this is their second time seeing a dead parent. And a parent killed by another parent. Their father had murdered their mother, and now their adopted mother killed their adoptive father. Allegedly. Those kids would make such good Greek mythology stories. But it's... <laughs> in Jacques adopted them, like, let's give them a better chance yeah. at life. They deserve this. Like, they would have grown up in, like, horrible conditions, probably separated from each other. God knows what would have happened. So, you know, he tried to help them, and yeah. then they ended up back to square one. It was just terrible. And each of their children had $1 million trust funds. Damn. So even, like, the adopted, all 10 kids had a million bucks apiece. Candy got the $33 million estate, and she lived in the Mossler mansion with her new husband, because she had gotten married. Um, her, his name was Barnett Garrison. Okay. 
So you, she just got to kill her, allegedly, kill her husband and then move <laughs> back into the 28-bedroom, like, estate with this yeah. new man. That's not her nephew, but is only 33 while she was 52. And again, her age is a huge question mark because people are like, well, she's 30. Well, she's 60. No one really knew. Okay. But she's um, 52. What the fuck? Correct. Okay. This new husband, Barnett Garrison, he mysteriously became paralyzed after a fall <laughs> and they divorced. Oh. And then in 1976, she was at a hotel in Miami. Not really sure why, but she had another migraine and she called a doctor for medication. And this was a doctor feel good. And so she was found deceased the next morning by what they ruled as an accidental overdose. Got it. So I'm pretty sure she was found face down in bed with like pills. Got it. Fairly, very Marilyn Monroe-esque if you think about... I was just going to say that, actually, yeah. Like, the blonde hair. The I will not compare Marilyn Monroe to this trash, because she is... I fucking love Marilyn Monroe, as you can see in my decor in my home. Oh, yeah. I love her very much. For those of you who don't know, there are huge photos of Dexter, Marilyn Monroe, and JFK in the pod loft. Correct. Yeah. So... I will not do her like that fuckery, okay? <laughs> but I will say that this does just seem like she was trying to copy her or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's very much not good. But it had come out afterwards that she had been using drugs for years. She was injecting them in her ass cheeks so that okay. she wouldn't have marks from needles. Yeah. But she was actually using, like, she was an IV dr- drug user, um, and she had been abusing pills for a long time and so she was she was an ill woman i don't think anybody thought that she was I, she had it all together but i think that was very clear yes yeah. i don't think that anybody would doubt that and i think that this is just a piece of it and there was a lot going on mentally but yeah. ultimately she passed away unfortunately alone in a hotel room that is hard that and is sad. and found the next day and she was only in her early 50s so she died young too she was younger than her husband was when he was killed well, what, um, when she allegedly killed him. Correct. Yeah. That's- when she died, she was worth $100 million. That's fucking nuts. I know. As for Mel, he had a career in real estate. Um, he stayed in the Houston area after having made a home there. That's so awkward. Like, I get awkward thinking about the idea of maybe running into next, like maybe even at a grocery store. Let alone, like, a family member ex that you have to see at Thanksgiving. But, you know, we'll just stay in the same area anyway. Just for shits and giggles. Well, yeah, he just set up shop and was like, all right, I'm living here now. He art, like, he'd found work. He did everything. But Shit. with him, his life pretty much, like, teetered between riches and bankruptcy. Yeah. His whole life. He never really got it right. He never really split the difference and just had stability. He was either had a bunch of money or he plummeted himself straight into bankruptcy. Um, he did attend his aunt's funeral. Okay. He had a cute blonde on his arm that didn't not look like his aunt. Ew. Which was Ucky's. And he passed away. He was 68 years old when he passed away. He died in 2010. So he outlived them all. <laughs> Yeah, well, he died in Houston, so again, he didn't leave. Um, I want to say it, it was like a cardiac issue. It wasn't, it wasn't an overdose, and it wasn't like a violent attack or anything like that. It seemed like natural causes, but there's not a whole lot of information on him, just that he had, was found dead, and I don't believe 
that he was married at the time. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, he either had riches or he had nothing. And there was really no in-between. And so, all of the players in our story today have passed away. Well, um... Rip. It's fucked up, isn't it? Yeah. Damn. Do you think we could sample Kissing Cousins in this by Elvis? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Jacques might not have been this incredible, fantastic man that you'd want to, like, hang out with every time, but he was still a man that was murdered. Yeah, it doesn't mean he deserves 39 stab wounds doesn't to mean end he his des- life. Doesn't mean he deserved one. Nobody is entirely good and entirely bad. We're all We're all a mix. It's just whichever side you lean on right (laughs) i mean i i think what we're obviously a lot more complex than that and he was too but he did not deserve what happened to him he was still murdered and i believe and i'm comfortable saying that i believe it was candy and mel i don't think anybody else would have could have i think she had it made to go to the hospital follow the motive brought the kids with her made everything quite easy for herself to be able to do that mel slips in kills him and leaves yeah and they hired the best of the best of the best for attorneys. And, and it worked. And it worked out great. She could also use her charm. And then she planted a fat kiss on all of the jurors. Like they weren't really just looking at the part of her knee that was showing rather than mm-hmm. actually listening to the case. There's an argument to be made. Yep. But ultimately, there was no justice served. No one's actually serving time. No one did serve time. And frankly, his even, murder. If, even if they had, I'd venture to say no justice was served because still the money used to defend them was the victims. Mm-hmm. And that's not okay. That sucks. Yeah. Um, If you guys are wondering, I did see for one special person out there who's not willing to spend a billion dollars. There is a 1966 published book. Um, called Candy Mossler, Her Life and Trial, the story no newspapers dare tell. The shocking, provocative, intimate trial disclosures. Oh, is that by what's his name? He was one of the reporters. Richard Honeycutt. No, I'm thinking of a different one. Well, there's one paperback left that's used in $27, and anything that's been mass produced is over 80 so oh, okay. just so you know, if you're curious, if you want the good good from the year after it happened, uh, that's available on Amazon. <laughs> that was a really good one. That was interesting. Thank you. That felt very like scandalous. It was very scandalous with glitz and glam and riches, but also like the side by side of that with incest and brutal murder. And that's so icky. Meanness. I mean. For the sake of everyone in this story, I hope it changes when I get older. But we've talked about before what it's like to have an age gap between like teens and like 20s Mm -hmm. and how when you're the teen, you're like, this is so cool. I'm special and like mature. And then you get to that age and you're like, oh, no, something was definitely wrong that someone my age was into someone that young. Not only that, but I wonder if either one of them like woke up one day and was like, well, that was really wrong. That was wrong. That was bad. That was that was terrible. I don't know. Um, I I hope, and frankly, like age age gaps we've talked about mean less as you get older. So I hope that that was different for them because they were all ideally within a relatively similar life stage. Right. But damn, there's there's just a lot there that I'm like I. 
I have a very easy time empathizing once I'm like, ah, yes, that's a that's a decision I think most people could fall into. This is one that is very difficult for me to be like, ah, yes, people could fall into this. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty easy to be like, hey, cousin, no. Hey, aunt, no. I think, what is it, Jeff Foxworthy, he has, uh, you know how he used to do the whole, like, you might be a redneck? I think it was like, if you met at the family reunion, you might be a redneck. <laughs> but it's just like the joke of like, don't. Right. Well, and it's like... um, And you had options. It's not like it was oh, like... Yeah. he the, was... Only the two of you to like repopulate the world. <laughs> they was... were both fine little things. You know yes. what I mean? They both had options and they were like, you know what? My Our blood is so precious mm, that I think we should... thicker than water. Keep mm, it mm, in mm. the family. <laughs> yeah. And uh, didn't we realize that how bad we got that like hundreds of years ago when yeah. we were like, this is the royal family. Let's all fuck each other so that the bloodline stays pure and kids are born with like tails yep. and like three eyes and, and like forks coming out of their ears correct. and shit. Yeah. Like there is a reason why we are supposed to not do that. There's also a reason why people get incredibly sick when you do that. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's not good. It's not healthy. And it's not the child's fault, but the no. child does not have enough of the protections that you get from two different sets of DNA. So one of my Ugh. friends quite some time ago was dating a guy who was very Italian. And they were all really excited that she wasn't because they were like, listen, we do not need more Italian blood here. We need some diversity. Because I think he was like literally 98% Italian. Oh, my God. And they were like, God help him, please. Like, <laughs> maybe your kids won't get any disease. As long as she can make a good gravy. I mean, she'll be fine. I mean, they're broken up now. but Oh. You know. <laughs> she couldn't make the gravy. No. No. She was not down to hang with the gravy. Well, Which I get at the farmer's market that I go to every week. There's this lady who has the cutest pasta stand. She's like the sweetest little old Italian grandma. And I'll go and I'll be like, can I have some of your gluten-free ravioli? Because she's the only person I know who makes gluten-free ravioli and they're Mm -hmm. so fucking good. You pain in the ass. I know. But she does have gravy. So I'll get, you know, a classic thing of gravy. Mm. But I save the jars and I either give them back to her or reuse them. And so I have one right now that's full of pumpkin like coffee syrup in my fridge. Mm -hmm. And my roommate's like, that just looks like gravy. You have you have to label that. Like <laughs> I'm gonna put that on uh, pasta. Yeah. I will put that on mashed potatoes, dear God, label that. Like <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Not but, mashed potatoes. You can't put that on mashed potatoes. Not okay, Oh, like I'm gravy, sorry. gravy. She means gravy gravy, not Italian oh. gravy. Um you that to, was the mix up. You have to clarify. Yeah, I know with you I do. Ew, imagine putting gravy other kind of gravy on pot anyway um <laughs> yucky just more yucky things we're talking about well thank you guys for hanging out with us sticking thank around so much um, it was so fun would love your feedback on this one were you as thrown by this or am i overreacting i don't think i am but i would like to hear it so why don't you tell me you can do so by um you could send us a cute little dm on instagram abby where would they do that hell yeah you could you would open up your little instagram app or go to instagram.am and then you would search up in that little bubble about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word so that's a-b-o-u-t period t-i-m-e period f-o-r period t-r-u-e period c-r-i-m-e period p-o-d because podcast was too long (gasps) 
But <laughs> if you wanted to see more than all of your loving pod pets, all of the memes, reprieves, resources that we have for you, and of course, all of the people, places, things we talk about, and you wanted to send us something long, like um, a profession of your love or, you know, your thoughts on this fucked up case, or if it wasn't that fucked up to you, um, we'd like to know because we were a little, Ugh. but you can email that to us as well as case recommendations. We do love those emails as well, but you could do that via email. Allie, where would that be? So if you wanted to email us, that would be about time, the number four TC at gmail.com. So that's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four TC at gmail.com. We would love very much to hear from you. Again, your pod pets, your case recommendations, all that good, good. Don't forget to check out the Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all the things. It helps us more than you know, and it's free 99, and we're giving you all little kisses on your nose. And if you were like, damn, I love this podcast, and I'd be willing to spend a tiny bit more than free 99, we do have stickers on Redbubble. We do have a PayPal and a Venmo if you are interested, and you can always find that in our link tree, which will not only be below, but also on our Instagram. Heckers, yeah. Heck yeah. And also, if I do say so myself, those stickers are cute, and I made them all. So please look <laughs> so at them. So give Abby all your credit. Um, <laughs> and if I look at my watch, that was About, about time, time for True Crime. crime. Bye. Bye.